I'm visiting all 30 stadiums in one season to uncover the hidden stories that make baseball America's pastime. Rounding third with Manish Jain. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rounding Third with Manish Jain. Today's episode, the Seattle Mariners and Safeco Field. This is going to be a relatively short podcast today. Uh, there is no interview, and I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story before giving you my thoughts on Safeco Field. In the interest of full disclosure, I will let you guys know that I'm actually recording this podcast a couple of weeks after seeing the Mariners game. So you'll hear me referring to cities post-Seattle. Um, but all of that will become clear very shortly. But right now, I'm just going to go ahead and start at the beginning. So I haven't really talked too much thus far on the podcast about the tour itself, about my experience driving or staying with random people across the country or really anything specifically about myself. It's been mainly about the the stadiums and the people that I've met and the experiences that I've had, but my my downtime I really haven't talked about too much. This is the time in my schedule that I have been dreading since I put this whole tour together almost a year ago. It took me about five weeks to come up with the schedule to try and make it so that I didn't double back and you know and that I didn't sit in one city too long and that I was able to visit all 30 parks in some sort of pattern. You know, finding a home game in each stadium is much more difficult than you would imagine, especially in cities like Chicago and L.A. and New York, cities that have multiple teams. Very rarely, if ever, do the teams play anywhere near each other on the schedule. With Houston jumping over to the American League and interleague play happening every single day, it just threw the schedule completely off the tracks. And I'm actually very empathetic to the MLB scheduler because it must have been just horrible to try and figure it all out. Because I know for me, like I said, it was five weeks of working about three, four hours a day. My apartment looked like a serial killer's apartment. There were maps and schedules strewn apart everywhere, just papers everywhere. So all that is to say that I think I did a pretty good job of following some sort of pattern. You know what? There are people that have enjoyed hearing me do this on the road. So for posterity, why don't I go ahead and put one on the podcast? This is my entire tour. Oh, and by the way, I know you got to believe me on this. I'm doing this from memory. <laughs> I just realized it's a podcast. I could very easily be cheating, but I'm going to say it fast enough where I'm not this fast of a reader. New York, New York, Baltimore, D.C., Tampa, Miami, Atlanta, St. Louis, Kansas City, Houston, Texas, Colorado, Arizona, San Diego, San Francisco, Oakland, L.A., Seattle, L.A., Minnesota, Milwaukee, Chicago, Chicago, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Toronto, Boston. I'm pretty sure I did all 30 right there. (laughs) You're going to have to slow that down and and test me, but I've said that so many times at this point where I'm, I'm pretty sure that's all 30 in the exact order that I went in. Now, for those of you who are able to follow that, uh, you should have been able to notice that the cities that have two teams, your New Yorks, your Chicagos, etc., I was able to do them in back-to-back days, which was awesome and fantastic. Unfortunately, in the, I believe it was seven or eight different unique schedules that I ended up creating 
for this tour, they all included some form, some variation of the L.A., Seattle, L.A., Minnesota stretch that I'm currently on. Because Seattle is way up in the Pacific Northwest, away from everybody, and because the Angels and the Dodgers rarely, if ever, play at the same time, and because I was going to have to make my way back to the East Coast or back to Midwest at some point, this was just a perfect storm of really, really hard driving. I started in L.A. I had to drive 17 hours up to Seattle, turn back around, drive 17 hours back to L.A., and then drive 30 hours to Minnesota, essentially driving about 4,000 miles in 10 days. Now, originally, I had a buddy of mine that was going to fly out and uh, help me with this section of the drive, and also, you know, have some fun with me on the road. But unfortunately, kind of at the last minute, he had a work commitment that he just could not get out of, and he ended up not being able to make it. And I was obviously frustrated because I wanted to spend some time with my buddy. Strangely enough, the idea of doing this 4,000-mile journey by myself didn't phase me. For those of you who may not know, I had not driven a car for six years before starting this tour. Living in New York, I didn't own a car. So I have not actively driven a car in six years So the way I've been looking at the summer is I'm basically just getting all the driving I would have done the last six years out of my system. I told myself I'm used to doing 10 plus hour drives. Since the beginning of this tour, I've been doing 13 hour drives, 11 hour drives, 12 hour drives. I purposely front loaded my tour with the West Coast and the South so that the first half of this trip would have all the long drives and the second half would be filled with three, four, five hour drives, which honestly are, I'm assuming going to feel like 20 minute jaunts, like it's not going to be a problem at all. So to give you a little bit of context, the Angels game that I went to was on a Friday. I had a Mariners game the following Monday and then a Dodgers game the following Friday and then a Twins game the following Monday. So within 10 days, I had to get from L.A. to Seattle to L.A. to Minnesota. So the morning after the Angels game, I get in my car and I start. I get about 12 hours before I realize, you know what, I think I'm good for today. I'm going to go ahead and do the responsible thing and pull off the road, get some sleep so I can start fresh again tomorrow. I got about five or six hours left. That's plenty of time for me to do that on Sunday, get to my destination, get some rest, be fresh for the game on Monday. So Sunday morning, I wake up, and all of a sudden, my entire body is sweating. I mean, my entire body. My legs are sweating. My hair is sweating. Everything. I'm just sweating. It's like, all right, it's not really that hot. Maybe I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just tired. I don't know. So I get out of bed, and I get in the car. I'm ready to hit the road again. I get about 45 minutes into the drive before my legs start shaking and I realize I don't know what's going on with me. Let me just go ahead and pull over to a rest stop here and, and maybe take a bit of a nap. You know, I, I left myself enough time on Sunday where I was able to, you know, take a bit of a break. I didn't have to drive straight. So I go to a, a rest area and lay down, got my little pillow in the car with me and I start to take a nap. About 10 minutes after I've closed my eyes, I shoot up and in one motion, open the door 
an exorcist-style projectile vomit for, I'm going to go ahead and, and guesstimate, it was maybe a minute and a half, two minutes straight, all over the parking lot. I apologize for the graphic description there, but it was, it is what it is. Apparently, I had gotten food poisoning at the exact wrong time. I called my father, who happened to be a physician, and I asked him, help me out here, Dad. Give me some sort of magical pill or advice or just something. Help me. Tell me what to do because I cannot afford to miss a day of driving. I got a game to go to tomorrow. What am I going to do? At this point, my mother gets on the phone, and she starts yelling at me. What are you doing? You got to take better care of yourself. This is ridiculous. You're driving all over the country. You can't let this happen. I'm coming out there. My mother lives in Michigan. Okay? She's got her own life. She's got her own things that she needs to be doing. So this is a very sweet offer, but you know, no, you're, you're not coming out here. It's fine. Thank you very much, but it's ridiculous. No. 48 hours later, this lunatic woman has gotten on a plane and flown three time zones to the west and greets me in the home that I'm staying at in Seattle. I want to make sure you all heard that. On 48 hours notice, she flew from Michigan to Seattle. And what she did next puts her pretty much in the mom hall of fame. She proceeded to drive with me from Seattle to LA. And then from LA to Minnesota. Yelling at me the entire time, saying, you are not going to drive, I'm going to drive. You are going to sit there, and you're going to rest, and you're going to sleep, and you're going to get some writing done, and you're going to relax. I am driving. Give me the keys. We're not going to stop. If you don't want to stop, if you don't stop for, for food, I don't stop for food. If you don't want to stop for bathroom breaks, I don't stop for bathroom breaks. We are on your schedule. We're doing exactly what you need to do. Do you understand that? This, this woman dropped everything in her life to come and drive 49 hours in a small car with her son. It was amazing. I'm going to talk a little bit more about our time together in the car on a future episode. But honestly, it was... In the midst of this baseball summer of mine, of this incredible journey of mine, going to all the stadiums, meeting incredible people, meeting new people, you know, seeing old friends. In the midst of all of that, I was given the opportunity to spend a week in a car with my mom, more time than we've spent together in probably 12 years, and bond with her, and talk to her, and laugh with her, and honestly, let my mommy take care of me for a couple of days. <laughs> this I like I said I'm gonna get I'm gonna talk more about it on a future episode. Um, but I just wanted to let you guys know that if it wasn't for my mom, I don't know if I would have been able to finish this tour. You know, I love moms across the world. I know that moms are a very special breed of of human being, and I'm sure you all have mothers or are mothers yourself who love your children and have a great bond with with one another, but. I'm sorry, I hit the mom lottery. I won. I won the jackpot. This is, uh, there is no Hall of Fame grade enough 
to to hold my mother. <laughs> I mean, she went so above and beyond the ridiculous Call of Duty that I, I it was it was incredible. It was amazing. It was an adventure unto itself. So stay tuned to a future episode where you'll hear uh, some details. Uh, I tried to get my mom to join me on the podcast for a minute, but sadly, she's a little bit too shy for that, so, which is okay. She did allow me to take some photos uh, of, of her and I together, which you can go ahead and check out on uh, the website at roundingthird.net, so you can see my, my, my angel of a mother and I hanging out. But uh, the last couple of weeks have been kind of intense, and so I haven't really been able to keep up with the writing of the podcasts or, or things of that nature. So I wanted to make sure that you guys knew what was going on and, and you were able to hear uh, a firsthand account of quite possibly the greatest mother who's ever walked the face of this planet. But now it's time to talk a little bit about Safeco Field. This place is awesome. <laughs> This I had such a great time at Safeco Field. In a lot of the podcasts that I've done so far, I've talked about unique aspects of the different stadiums. And this one was no different. This one had something that I have yet to experience at any other ballpark. It's amazing how this keeps happening. You would think that after a while, these, these stadiums, these ballparks, these experiences would start kind of flowing together. You know, you have similar experiences. But I haven't. You know, every single ballpark has given me something new to really be in awe of. For the first time in my life of going to baseball games, football games, hockey games, basketball games, I was actually encouraged to get out of my seat and walk around a little bit. I spoke to an usher and he told me that honestly during the game he sees a lot of people, even in the good seats, that just get up and wander because there is literally not a bad view in this entire house. A lot of stadiums like to claim that they have open sight lines, you know, that behind home plate in the concourse is an open concourse. So wherever you're walking in the concourse, you can always see the field of play. It's one of the newer um, design influences that came from Camden Yards in Baltimore. In Seattle, this was the first place where it really felt like no matter where you were standing, you had not only just a clear view of the field, but a really great view of the field and a different view of the field. I find myself going to the very upper deck and going down the left field line where there's a little bar area set up. And I just want to stand there and rotate between seeing the city of Seattle and the play on the field. I just kept on turning around. You know, I'd, I'd spend a minute looking at the skyline, then I'd turn around and I'd look at the field. Then I'd look at the water. Then I would look at just any number of amazing scenic views that you have from the top of that stadium. And then you go down to the main level, and pretty much anywhere you walk on the concourse, you've got huge, open, sprawling views where there are no obstructed views. No matter where you stand, there's no obstructions. You can see everything. Not only can you see everything, but the weather in Seattle. I'm telling you, the media is lying to you, folks. The TV, the radio, the news, movies, everybody's lying to you. The weather in Seattle was gorgeous. It was beautiful. This whole Seattle's always rainy and gray, I don't know what the heck they're talking about. Maybe in the winter, but in the summer months, that place is almost a paradise. If you don't believe me, go right now to roundingthird.net, 
go to, I believe it's day 56. It's the off day between the Mariners and the Dodgers game. And just look at the view from the porch that uh, of the house that I was staying at. This is in Seattle, back in Bellevue, but still in that area. And I'm telling you, that's what the weather was like every day that I was in Seattle. Earlier in the day, I had taken a tour of Safeco Field, and the tour guide had asked myself and the other uh, uh, folks on the tour, out of the 81 home games, on average, how many games do you think the roof has to be closed for due to rain? And obviously, people are assuming in the 30s, 40s, you know, some saying 50s. I, I thought more of a conservatively, maybe in the 20s, you know, think it's going to be a lot, but probably not too much, maybe in the 20s. But, you know, it's Seattle, it rains all the time, so at least 20. 11. According to my tour guide, only 11 times a year out of the 81 home games do they actually have to close the roof. There is no excuse for any of you not to make the trip out to Seattle and watch a baseball game because it was absolutely magnificent. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Houston, Miami, Arizona, Milwaukee, everyone else that's got a retractable roof, you did it wrong. Seattle did it right. Their roof does not completely close off the stadium from the outside. In places like Miami and Houston, when they close the roof, it essentially just becomes a domed stadium. It's climate controlled, and you're pretty much playing inside just like Tropicana Field. In Seattle, it's more like an umbrella. The, the roof covers the stands, but it does not close off the outside world. So you're still getting all of the environment. You're still getting the cold air or the wind or whatever it may be. Whatever the elements are, you're still feeling it. So yes, there might be a roof over your head, but it still feels like a baseball game. It still feels like a baseball environment. I'm incredibly disappointed in myself that I was under the weather for the entirety of my trip to Seattle because this is a place that, like I mentioned before, Safeco Field is one of those stadiums that I've always enjoyed watching on TV. Uh, when I was a kid, I was actually a secret Seattle Mariners fan. Back when they had... Uh, Griffey Jr. and Buner and Tino and Edgar Martinez and Randy Johnson and even <laughs> the young whippersnapper A-Rod way, way back in the day. I was a, a secret Mariners fan. I wasn't the world's biggest fan of the kingdom, but to be fair, I never saw a game there. So maybe it was better than I thought. I don't know. I talked to some of the locals there and they seem pretty happy that it's gone. But Safe Goal Field was always one of those parks that I've always wanted to visit, but it just felt so far away from the rest of society. I do feel terrible for the people of Seattle because they really have no no geographical rivals. You know, the American League West, all the other all their all their teams are are several hours away. You know, I'm never a proponent of of cities losing their franchises, but and you know, uh, I don't know. Now, Cause I don't think about it. I don't know if expansion is really going to be a good idea either. But Seattle needs another team up there, whether it be in Vancouver or in Portland. There needs to be a team a little bit closer to the Mariners because they just feel so divorced from the rest of baseball. They just feel so disconnected from the rest of the league being way out in the middle of nowhere. 
You know, the Pacific Northwest is such a beautiful part of the country. We really need to get baseball out there. Because I always thought it was the weather. Honestly, like I said, I'll, I'll completely admit my ignorance. And I, I always assumed that oh, it's either going to be crazy cold or rainy and, and dark and dreary. So that's why baseball isn't up there. I have no idea now why there isn't more baseball in the Pacific Northwest. Because the weather is certainly not an issue. The fans that I met there, you know, I met people from Montana, from Iowa, from Vancouver, from Portland. They were pulling from states all across that area of the country all to come to see a live baseball game. There are enough fans in that area of the country, Major League Baseball. Let's figure out how to get a professional team up there. I honestly am racking my brain, and I don't think I have one negative thing to say about this park, its employees, or really anything about even the city. Before the game, they open the gates two and a half hours before first pitch. At most stadiums, you're lucky if you're allowed inside the stadium two hours before the game. Normally, it's about an hour and a half, which I got to say is not nearly enough time to really experience everything that that ballpark has to offer. But in Seattle, they open up what they call the pen, which is the area right behind the, uh, the bullpens, you know, nicely enough, where you can go, you can sit in some very nice recliners. You can order some food. You can have some drinks. You can watch batting practice. Two and a half hours before game time, you can actually watch the home team take batting practice, which is, once again, another rarity. You know, some ballparks will allow season ticket holders to do that, but just for the common fan like myself to walk in and be able to watch the home team take BP, it was pretty exciting. Everyone that worked at the park couldn't have been more gracious and helpful. You know, I, I, would, I was chatting with some ushers. I was chatting with some vendors. And, you know, they really loved the sport. And, and they were incredibly gracious with their time. Seattle gets a bad rap sometimes. You know, more important, it gets forgotten sometimes, really. It doesn't even get a bad rap. It just gets forgotten. And it's not their fault. For whatever reason... Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's bad marketing. I don't know. But for whatever reason, the rest of the country does not fully appreciate how amazing of a place the Pacific Northwest and more specifically Seattle really is. You know, because I was feeling so sick and and I just was, was drained, my energy was drained, I was really unable to get any official interviews for the podcast. But that didn't stop me from talking to a lot of people and hearing a lot of stories. And honestly, I, I credit for Seattle for infusing me with energy and for getting me back up and for getting me to for reinvigorating me. You know, I was I was very wiped out after the food poisoning incident and after the driving and just the environment that they created there at, at Safeco Field completely brought me back to life. This stadium has shot to the top of my list of stadiums that I need to revisit once this tour is over so that I can really properly experience everything that it has to offer. But if you're just looking for a flat-out, fun, beautiful time at the ballpark, you're not going to do much better than Safeco Field. Like I said, there's not a bad seat in the house, and if you're not happy with your seat, just stand up, and walk to one of the standing room only sections because the standing room only sections sometimes have a better view than most ballparks do in the expensive seats. It's crazy how they have built that stadium. It's, it's absolutely perfect. So without an interview to uh, uh, share with you guys, I figured you probably heard enough of my rambling. So that's going to wrap up 
another episode of the podcast. The next episode is going to be the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, and I highly recommend you tune into that one. It's going to be a fun one, and you're going to hear some more great stories about uh, this crazy woman that uh, I'm lucky enough to call my mom. Uh, But uh, for now, let me just go ahead and thank the uber-talented Blake White for the intro and outro theme music that he created for me, Icarus Ronan for the web design and the teaching me of how to manage a website. That was very, very nice of him. Krishna Jane for the photo editing. And a new name that I'm going to add to the list of my regular thanks, and that's my mother. Poonam Jane, I love you. You're awesome. You're amazing. I honestly do not feel like I'm worthy of being your son. If you have any questions or comments for me, please feel free to email me at roundingthirdpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me at Twitter, at RoundingThirdMJ. You can check out the photos that I've taken and uh, my little write-ups that I do after each one of the stadiums at RoundingThird.net. I want to thank all of you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. And I hope you'll stick with me as I continue to round third, heading for home. Third with Manish Jane.